Today in the world, there are, are lots of impressionists or impersonators who are able to do our favorite celebrities with, with great accuracy. I enjoy watching people mimic other people, particularly those people that uh, are in movies. I kind of enjoy that. Some do it with great realism. You know, even our children are able to mimic us and imitate us. And many times, you know, that, that makes us smile, doesn't it? But sometimes when they imitate us, it also can make us wince at times, can it? It really can. But they say that, that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And when we imitate our Father God, it not only pleases Him when we act like and we live like and we sound like Him, but it also shows that our lives have been radically changed by this amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you will, will you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. We call it the Beatitudes. But in chapter 4 previously, Jesus had just returned from the wilderness. He's gathered his 12 disciples. They're all around him now. John the Baptist has begun laying the groundwork for the coming Messiah. And that will be coming very soon. Jesus has, has built this following. He's got these huge crowds that are following him. He begins a three-year teaching ministry. But the first thing he does when he starts teaching is he turns the world's philosophy upside down. He says that to be rich, you have to be poor. To be uh, thought of well, you have to be less than other people. He says the rich will be poor, the poor will be rich, the, the meek will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on and he describes what the ideal disciple looks like when their life has been radically changed by the loving grace of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this portion of Scripture. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus begins this scripture and he says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. 
Now, many of you may not know, but the word salary comes from the word salt. In Roman times, many people were paid wages in salt instead of money. And that's where the old saying goes, some people just aren't worth their salt. Y'all have heard that, right? That's where that comes from. But salt during biblical times was, was critically important. There was no refrigeration, and so salt was used to prevent food from spoiling. It served as a preservative and a preventative to keep food from, from rotting. Salt was enable food to be transported. In the same way, when we live righteously before God, that our lives are actually a preventative and a preservative for this world because what it does, it slows down the moral and the spiritual decay of society and it actually delays the wrath of God from coming upon those people who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on and he tells the people, But if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And so Jesus, he warns the disciples, listen, it's possible for you to lose your saltiness, to lose your flavor. You see, when we're we're no different from the world or unbelievers, they just don't pay us any mind. But our lives should be like salt in, in this way that our lives as Christians should add flavor to people's life so they really want a taste of the Lord and see that He's good. Our lives should make a difference in our homes and our schools and where we go about our day. Jesus compares this salt. And He's really talking about our reputation. But when we look like, sound like, and act like the world, our reputation suffers. Jesus said, listen, if you lose your flavor, that you're no benefit to other people. Today, there's all kinds of salt. There's sea salt. There's pink salt. There's Himalayan salt. And by the way, there's no sea in the Himalayans, just so you know. There are even salt substitutes. There's even salt substitutes. But I don't know if you know, but salt substitutes, they're just not the same. They're just like imitation butter. You ever had imitation butter? It's just not the same. Do you realize that salt substitutes can look like salt, feel like salt, and not be salty at all? They really can be. Christians today are much like imitation salt. Oh, they can be found where salt should be found. They can be found in the churches, but many aren't salty at all. Many Christians today are chasing their own plans, their own agendas, their own hopes, and their own dreams. And they offer up this imitation Christianity that the world rejects. And it's because they've they've let the impurities of the world remove their saltiness. Now, you ever ate something really salty? Something really, really salty. You know, salt not only adds flavor, but salt can can cause us to be thirsty. Something that's overly salty can make something become edible. But just the right amount of salt can be absolutely delicious, can it? It can be delicious. 
Our lives should be salty enough that we flavor people's life by our love for them, our goodness, the way we live our life, that it makes other people, the non-believers, thirst for salvation. Our lives should do that. Jesus goes on and he says, if you lose your saltiness, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If you look at the decay of our society, all you have to do is look backwards. All you have to do is is look back towards the church. And I say that with, with great conviction. Because a lot of times you can trace the problems of this world back to believers where they've compromised their conviction. They've compromised the word of God. You see, the reason that we're ridiculed, the reason that we're mocked, the reason that we're not taken seriously is not because we're being persecuted. It's because we've left our post and like Jesus says, we're being trampled underfoot. Jesus goes on and he says, when someone is changed, that they don't put their light under a bowl. You know, it seems like instead of being light in this dark world, we wrongly believe that we're going to offend someone when we tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of false teachings that seem to appear as light and being promoted more so than the light of God. The truth is for more than a generation now, instead of us being light in a dark world, what is happening now to us is that the world is changing us. They're changing us as believers. You say, well, Bill, what keeps me personally from fulfilling my role as salt and light in this world. And God, there's so many different things that we could talk about. But if I think if I was going to break it down as easily as I could, I think I would probably simply say anything that blurs the line between us and the world is probably a step in the wrong direction. Because we are called to to be different. And this was Paul's concern as he writes to the church in Ephesus. So if you will, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at 1 through 14. And if you've been with us any amount of time for the past couple months, we've been in a book study of the book of Ephesians. Now, Paul, the last time I spoke to y'all, I told you that this book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. And he wasn't in the comfort of his own home, but he was on a darkened floor in a rat-infested prison. And he was writing to the people in Ephesus because he had this growing concern that something was going on in their hearts and in the world. Listen to this, but he tells us how we are supposed to live as born-again believers in a decaying world. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us for a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. 
nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. He has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, it wasn't easy being a Christian in the city of Ephesus. It was a city of wealth and and prosperity. Any uh, pagan practice and indulgence you could think of was available to you. And Paul was writing this letter because there was this growing concern as he wrote to the people that they were beginning to be influenced by their culture around him. Particularly, he was concerned that, that they were acting less loving than they used to. They began to act like their neighbors. They had began to imitate the culture in which they were living. Sadly, today, it doesn't look much different, does it? Our culture today looks much like Ephesus then. Churches then and now were full of people who profess Christ, but their life is Christless. Their life is Christless. For many, their life is not one of love and sacrifice for their Savior, but it's one of selfishness. It's one of selfishness. And what has happened when when you let the world in, your love for people will begin to grow cold as the world takes hold in your life. Paul goes on to tell us to follow God's example as his dearly loved children. And then walk in that way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so Paul, he reminds us that we're not to imitate the world, but we're to imitate God as his beloved children. You see, Paul would have never told us in the scriptures to imitate God if it wasn't possible. He wouldn't have told us that. You know, we walk in love not simply because we're told to do so. Not because we're told to do so. That because we have experienced the love and the grace of God in our life. And therefore, as his children, we want to live differently. His love has forever changed us. That has to be our motivation. You see, true Christianity is about God's grace in our life. You know, we're made beloved children of God because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. And that's the most important thing I want you to hear this morning from me. 
Because this idea of living as beloved children because of his grace is foundational to living the holy life that Paul is talking about. Because if, if for some other reason you try to live this Christian life, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You have to live for something higher than yourself. He goes and he tells us there can't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now he tells us that because we are creatures of of habit and we see with our eyes. The truth is that we need to protect our eyes from anything and everything that brings us sexual pleasure except our spouses. Do you realize that? Except our spouses. You know, both men and women struggle with pornography. It can be an issue. And yes, I said women. Men have their centerfolds. Women have their uh, Harlequin romance novels. You've seen them. It's the bare-chested, long-haired guy. You know, Sir Hunk a lot on the cover, right? It's nothing more than pornography without pictures. But he says, listen, there shouldn't even be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality or purity. You see, God's plan is not that we just barely make it, that we barely maintain a morality. He says, listen, live in such a way that you don't even come close. You don't even come close. We're called... To be different, he says, or any other kind of impurity. You know, we often think of impurity. We don't tend to think of just sexual sin. But there's more to it than that. You know, impurity is what we would call anything that's a contaminant. And that would include our thought life, our actions, or even our activities, Paul was saying, listen, don't let your life become polluted with anything that God does not approve of. That's what that means. And it actually is possible. How many times have you personally allowed jealousy, anger, or bitterness to contaminate your life only to have it poison your own well? He says we're not to have anything to do with those things. And he goes on and he even mentions in here about greed. You say, well, my goodness, why does he mention greed with sexual morality? Because greed, like sexual immorality, is a form of idolatry. That's really what it is. And idolatry always exalts itself above self and above God and above others. When we mature and we walk in love as God's children, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He gives us the ability to say no to ourselves, to the things God says we cannot have. We actually do have that ability as believers that we are to be different. Now, He goes on to say, don't let anybody... Anyone deceive you with empty words because of such thing God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. 
Now, when he's talking here, he warns believers uh, not to be deceived. Don't be persuaded by empty words or, or some of these worldly arguments that you hear. Many times today, Christians are being deceived by words that have no life. And here's what they sound like. Sex before marriage is okay. Divorce is okay. Homosexuality, hmm, no harm in it. Those are words that that have no life. Entire denominations now are installing what they call pastors who are open homosexuals in the pulpits. Listen, those are just some examples of empty words that come from the sons of disobedience. And hear me, these people are not children of God. They're not children of God. He goes on, he says, listen... Not only are you not to do those things, he says, don't even partner with them. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You know, sometimes we think that we're not to have anything to do with the world, and and that's not true. Paul was saying, listen, just simply don't join in. Don't participate in their sinful behavior. Yes, you can befriend a person in the world, but you don't have to befriend their sin. That's what he's telling us. I think too often, you know, we join in with the ungodly instead of being different. And if you want to be with the people of this world, and you want to do the things of the people of this world that they like to do, instead of being with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's because you are of the world and you're one of them. Because we are called, and if we're born again, that we act different, we look different, we love deep, and and we love well, but we are different. He goes on to say and describes our, our old self as darkness. He says, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, live as children of the life. Paul describes our old life as being darkness. Now notice that Paul doesn't say that you were in the dark. He doesn't say that. He says that you were once darkness. You were once darkness. You see, darkness is not a condition. It's a result from the absence of light. When you walk out of a room, you don't turn on the darkness. You turn off the light. That's what happens. You were darkness. You are now light because of the love of Jesus Christ. If he lives in you, that same light lives in you. So live that way. Live like Christ. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But you won't practice them. You should never get good enough at sin. You really shouldn't. He says we are the light after salvation live that way you before salvation you didn't have any light you were in darkness but when jesus came in things changed our our new nature is not darkness our new nature is light and so we're able to shine the light of jesus it's not our light it's the light of christ that, that lives in us and we're able to shine that into people and places and circumstances that's what we're supposed to do He goes on and say, listen, have nothing to do 
with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You know, it seems Christians today are becoming more and more passive in everything that they do. We sit back and we let society dictate the norms that we live in. The result is that we not only see our society falling away, but we see our society falling apart, children of God, don't we? We see it falling apart. And to expose them doesn't mean to to be ungracious. It doesn't mean to to be unkind. But what Paul is saying first, listen, you shine that light that's in you on your own life. You clean up your stuff, your own backyard. And then with love and compassion and mercy and prayer that you go to someone else. And you share with them with grace. Last scripture. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, the tendency is the the world darkens, is to pull back and, and not stand firm. The darker that it gets, that's our tendency. It says here that We should stand firm against false teaching. We should stand firm against false doctrine when we hear it. Unfortunately, there are men behind pulpits just like this one who are in full retreat of what God's Word says. Full retreat. The reason is because they've compromised their convictions for the sake of likability and for being culturally relevant. The sad part of that is... It's all at the cost of someone's soul. Do you realize that? And when we live that way, it's the same way. We're called to, to be light. We're called to be salt. And we're called to be salty enough that we season the lives of the lost people with the love of God. That they thirst for the living water that the Bible tells us about. And we're to be a light so that people find their way. And sometimes it may be you. Sometimes it may be me that they find their way out of the darkness to Jesus Christ who can save them, who can heal them, who can make them whole and set them on high one day with Christ. But if we're no different, if they see us no different, we lose an opportunity. Paul's primary theme in Ephesians, and we've got several more weeks. But the theme that Paul wrote was because he was trying to get across to us about Paul being who he was and how the love of God, the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God so changed his life that that was the motivation for him to live differently as a beloved child of God. And so my question for you this morning is several. One, can you see a marked difference in your life since you gave your life to Christ? And have you changed because you also are a beloved child of God? More importantly, this is a litmus test. Can other people 
Can other people look at your life and say, hey, he, she is not the same person that they used to be? Let me ask you this. Would you feel comfortable literally telling someone, follow me as I follow Christ? Would you feel comfortable doing that? Would you say, listen, hey, I'm willing for you to imitate me in my walk and my relationship with God as I follow Christ? Would you feel comfortable doing that? Because if you are, you can make a difference in this world. By being different. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, that you have empowered us because of Christ. To live holy lives. Not perfect. God, you're perfecting us. Absolutely. But God, that you call us to be salt and light. And you call us to live as your beloved children. And God, we do that because we've experienced your kindness. We've experienced your patience and your grace upon us. And so, God, help us as we go about our day and our week. Lord, that we let our light shine. God, that we would flavor people's life. Lord, that we'd make them thirst for you because they see you through us. And so, God, we thank you for empowering us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do what you set us to do. And Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.